Let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, we thank You that You are the God who does not change, that Your promises are forever, that You show them to us not in ourselves and not in a vision, but You show them to us in Jesus Christ and praise You for Him. Let us see Him now in Father Abraham and His children, us. Make us sons of faith more and more today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning again. We are coming in our uh, series on covenant theology to once more, where we were last week, Abraham. Let me just kind of give a little bit of a recap about where we've been and where we're, uh, where we're heading. We've been looking at this one covenant of grace all the way from the garden and Genesis 3.15, that promise of the uh, serpent crusher. Maybe I'll call him that. The child, the seed who would crush the serpent's head. And that promise all the way through. All the way through. We saw it a little bit with, uh, with Noah and the way God delivers through the flood. We saw it last week with Abraham and the way in which God crosses through the, the gauntlet the bloody gauntlet of birds and promises, I will, I guess I'll draw a little torch there. It's not a very good torch. Crossing through, that's my bad artistic rendering. Um, but God himself takes on, he takes on the curse. And we're going to see it, of course, in the future with Moses, David, and eventually with, with Christ himself. But, and this is a very important lesson that we ought to learn, the argument here is that there is one, one single solitary covenant of grace. But God, in a sense, has different secretaries. God has different secretaries. He has different administrative assistants. He, he, he sets it up in ways that look a little different. The flood is not quite the same as circumcision which is not quite the same as Mount Sinai, not quite the same as David. This is one promise. And the upshot of all that is that we're going to find out, I'm going to argue today, Abraham is saved as we are saved. But here's the question I want to open up. I'd like to open up with a semi-thoughtful, uh, maybe a little bit of a provocative question. Was Abraham saved? I'll assume you all think that he was saved. Unless anybody wants to counter that, with Abraham saved in the same way as we're saved. We believe. Yeah. So, yes, right? Now, let me ask this question Did God present to him a written word? Did God deliver a book to Abraham? To communicate. No. No, he didn't. How did God communicate with Abraham? He actually visited Abraham. He visited Abraham. Okay. Yeah, two, two or three different different occasions. How did God speak to him? How, how, when he visited him, how else did he speak to him? How did he communicate to him? Yeah. He gave him pictures. 
That, that little torch thing. He gave him signs. Yeah. How does God communicate to us? The same way? Does God come to you and walk through separate halves of animals every day? Every Sunday? How does God communicate himself to you? Salvation to you? Through his son. Yeah. And so I think that's really, that's a significant point to raise, Linda, because God did not communicate to Abraham through his son. Right? We look at it last time. Chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. God communicated in a vision. He did not communicate by sending the incarnate Jesus of Nazareth. Now, that tripped up a lot of folks. This is why I raised the point. Because in the substance, right, in, in the reality of it, he believed. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Just like we believe. And our faith in Christ is counted to us as righteousness, as his righteousness, ultimately. And so the substance of it, here's a very key point to grasp, right? This is one story, one big story, all the way from here, all the way to us. And the substance, the, the stuff of it, is all the same. It's the stuff of God's grace. But the admin's different. The admin, the secretary, if you will, for God with Abraham with a vision. The admin work was done through dreams or visions or appearances. Whether pre-incarnate or whatever, whatever you think on that matter, it's not the same thing. It's different. You see, this is the basic principle. God does not ordinarily speak to us as he did to Abraham. Not in the same way. He communicates the same truth, the same gospel, the same reality, but different secretaries, different administrations. If you don't like the secretary image, then you can think of maybe different uh, presidential administrations. You know, the, the current one's not like the previous one, which is not like the one before that. God communicated to Abraham the same reality. Not as clear, not as full, still gospel, but not the same way. He communicated in... He, this is just If you want a scriptural proof for this, it's Hebrews 1.1. Various long ago, various times, various ways, God spoke to us by his prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by son. By his son. And that's that's the way it, that's the way it works. This is the principle. Yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. First it's all of God. It was by His grace that He decided to create man in His image, right? And then it was by His grace that He chose failed to provide a, a way. Absolutely. So in other words, it's, it's all of God. And the chosen that came about in Abraham, you know, while it created pride, yeah. <laughs> sinful pride in, in, in the people at times, such an important concept. It's not by our achieving right. until 
is is that all work. Well, that, that's that's so key. That's so key, Jim. And that principle of salvation by grace is the same principle that worked in Abraham's life. It's the same principle that works in your life as well. It's it's absolutely vital to see this. Now, this is very counter to how how I was raised. How many of us, I think, were raised? We were raised to think of, at least I was raised to think of this as a different, uh, not just a, not just a different admin, not just a different different secretary, but a whole different way of approaching God. Let's say through law, they were given the law back in those days, and now we, the church, have been given Jesus and the gospel. But we'll get into that. I'm just teaching that. That's a later Sunday school class. That's you know five six weeks down the road that we'll that we'll touch on those things. Um, I just want to tease this out for you this day. By, by way, by way of, of uh, opening, recap. Um, any other questions or comments on that? All right. Same substance, different admin. Let's, let's look now at Abraham. Last time, we saw that God gave three promises. He gave the promise of the land. He gave the promise of the people. He gave the promise of himself, his presence. He gave the promise of a land. He gave the promise of a people. And he gave the promise of himself. We looked last time. We checked the box of the land. If you recall, my argument, and I guess you nobody said they didn't like it, so I guess you liked it, is that each of these promises is fulfilled in two stages. Each of these promises is filled first in the old and then in the new. First in the old and then the new. So we looked at the land promise. We saw in Hebrews chapter 11 how the land promise first was given to Abraham. And that's, again, what we might call OT Israel, the land of Israel, that area, that section of land. And yet the fulfillment of that, what what the author of Hebrews says, is that Abraham was looking to a city whose builder and architect was God. What the Bible reveals to us at the end of time as New Jerusalem, right? That is, what we might call shorthand new heavens and new earth. And so there are these two stages. So we now have to turn, assuming y'all agree with me. If you don't, you can tell me and we can have a good discussion. We're now going to look at and see in chapter 17, turn there please, just at 17, we're going to look at the seed, at the promise of a people. The promise of the offspring. We saw last time that great section of um, God swearing an oath to his own hurt, to his own pain. He comes to Abraham. And note that this is after Sarah and Hagar. This is after Abram tries to solve the promise in his own way. He tries to gain by works, not by grace. Not by faith in the promise, but by his own scheming. It's after that that God comes. We'll just read here a little bit. When Abram, this is verse 1, Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. He renamed them Abraham. I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make you into nations. Kings shall come 
from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And then he goes on, verse 9 and verse 10, God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And he concludes again, way down in verse 21, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at that time, this time next year. So a lot of repetition, a lot of use of covenant language. Did you notice the verb that God uses over and over again when he talks about the covenant? What verb is mentioned? I mentioned it several times. What verb is used when speaking about the covenant? I will. So it's, okay, that's great. That's not, that's not what I was thinking. That's a great point. Future. Will what? I will establish. I will establish. Now, if you remember, the reason I make a big deal out of this is, remember in our discussion of Noah, I talked about, you may not, but that's why I'm reviewing it. There are two ways, there are two verbs the Bible uses, the Old Testament particularly uses, to talk about covenants. There are two words, and one of them is cut, often simplified into make, and the other one is establish. And I said that cut refers to a new, a new administration or a new covenant. You might call it a new secretary, a new admin. But establish always has reference to a previous covenant. So what we have here in chapter 17, over and over again, God says, I will establish. Right? He says here in verse 2, I may make, and that is that word cut. So we have here something new, and yet then in verse 7, I will establish something old, something new and something old. Something new. What's the, what's the new thing here? The new thing is the sign of the covenant. The sign is the covenant of circumcision. That's what he says in verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. So, let's get to the question immediately at hand. <clears throat> if, as I've argued, there are two stages of fulfillment to the land and the people and to the, himself, what is the old or the first stage of the offspring? To put it very simply, who are the kids that God promises to Abraham? Who are, who are the seed of Abraham? The Israelites, yeah. You got it. Good job, Misty. Right? Gold star. Israel. A multitude of nations will come from you. The Israelites are the initial obvious reference. Right? And most clearly, what does God promise here in chapter 17? Isaac, I will establish 
my covenant. Verse 19, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. In fact, Abraham says, verse 18, how about Ishmael? Can we do it Ishmael? Can we have it the way I did it with my work and my effort? And God says, no, that's not how I work with you. You're mixing up the covenant of works where you achieve with the covenant of grace that I give. That's why over and over again, God says, I will establish. He does not say you will establish. I will establish. I will do it. He said it back in chapter 15. He repeats it again. God fulfills an impossible, what seems like an impossible promise. Chapter 21, eventually Isaac is born. And then Isaac has Jacob. And then from Jacob, we saw it last year. 12 tribes come. The 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And so very obviously, every Jew today who's worth his or her salt says, I love Father Abraham. Look back to Father Abraham. Isn't that what in the secular world they call Islam and Christianity and Judaism? They call them Abrahamic religions because they all trace in some sense their lineage back to Abraham. And see, for, for this first phase, Abraham is called to believe God. He's called to believe God's promise and not his own efforts. And he does so. Not without stumbling, not without faltering, but he does so. And God blesses him. Turn over to Galatians 3. And I know that we are having donut day, so I am uh, cutting through a couple of things here when it comes to the outline. But just to... Uh, just to give us some, some New Testament details here. I'll begin in verse, verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3 of Galatians. Paul says this, Galatians 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. You had it right before you. You had him. You should, you should know this stuff. What should you know? He asked this question, verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So yet again, we have these two options set out. These two options of receiving the Spirit by works or by hearing with faith. By works or by faith. You might substitute it. Are you trying to get to God through the covenant of works like Adam did and he failed? Or are you hearing the gospel, the covenant of grace with faith? Now notice how, notice where he goes at verse 6. Hearing with faith just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's fascinating, isn't it, that Paul, when he's looking for an example to describe the covenant of grace, to describe what it means to be a believer, to be a Christian, you might say. He goes to Abraham. He does not go to James. He doesn't go to Peter. He doesn't go to any of the New Testament disciples. He goes smack dab back to Abraham. And he quotes, he quotes that classic verse, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then he says, all right, what are the promises of God that he gave to Abraham? Verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. This is a crucial verse and a crucial section of the Bible. What it's saying here is that what it means to be part of the people promise does not have much to do with being related by blood to Abraham. It has everything to do with being those of faith. Notice how Paul continues in verse 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What's vital here is to see the way Paul talks about the Bible. He says the Scripture, the Bible itself, foresees. It's a weird way of talking about the Bible. We don't usually talk, we talk about God foreseeing, you know, God foresaw, God predestined, God justified, God called. But the Bible foreseeing is not the way we usually talk. That sounds a little weird. The Bible's just a book. But yet Paul can say the scripture preached the gospel beforehand. Literally, you might say it pre-preached the gospel. The pre-preaching of the gospel. That blows out of the water any idea that Abraham was saved some other way. You can't, I don't see how you can get around this idea. It seems very clear that Abraham was justified as we are by grace through faith alone in Christ. In fact, in verse 9, he says, In case you didn't believe me, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. And Abraham is the example of a faithful man. He is the example of a New Testament man of faith. And we get in only because we are along with him for the ride. Those are blessed along with Abraham. You begin to see here, I hope, the stage two, the new fulfillment, the, the more full meaning of this promise of a seed, an offspring. It's not simply the Israelites, but in some sense, it's those of faith who are the true sons of Abraham. Any questions before I move on to Jesus? Because we haven't mentioned him, and Paul goes there in Galatians 3. You all tracking so far? Any objections, any pushback? Going once, twice, three times. Okay, then uh, let me move on to make one other point here. <clears throat> Look down in verse, oh, let's see here. Um, let's start in verse 14. That's Paul's main point. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I'm cutting off part of his argument there, but his argument is that the blessing of Abraham only comes in Jesus Christ. 
Then he, then he moves on. He says in, in verse 15, let me give you an example, a human example, brothers. Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Once you agree on the contract, you can't kind of, you know, uh, what's the word, welch on it. You know, you, you don't welch in the deal. And so he, he's going to make a point here about history. He says in verse 16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. And so in one sense, right, the very ultimate answer to the question of what is the promise of the people is not the Israelites. It's not even us. There's really a higher and a, a, a deeper answer, a deeper magic, as Lewis might say. The answer is the Sunday school answer. Since we're in Sunday school, I'll give it to you. It is Jesus. That's where Paul goes in Galatians 3. He says, the offspring of Abraham, the son of Abraham, is Christ. Now, we'll get into the rest of this when we talk about Sinai. Um, I'm not going to get into all the law. and the, That's a complicated thing that we're, we're not going to get into. Um, but I want to skip down to verse 29, Galatians 3.29, where Paul concludes and repeats. He concludes his argument. He says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So let me cut here to application for a second. What are we to take away from the covenant with Abraham? We're going to take away here that the true child of Abraham is Jesus Christ. The way in which Abraham could enter into God's presence was only ultimately by Jesus Christ. The way in which he can get the blessing of a land and a people is only ultimately by faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, do you see how glorious your Savior is? Do you realize that at every moment, at every second, the only way you have any access to the Father is because you're a son in Jesus Christ? This is what the guy's been talking about Friday mornings for the past few weeks, the joy of adoption. Adoption means we are in Abraham's family. We're in Abraham's family. We're sons of Abraham. Do you know that you're a son of Abraham? That's not a language that we talk about. We, we don't really use that very much. But it's part of the way Paul argues here in Galatians. If you are an heir according to that, notice how he does, not see, he does not divide the Bible and say, Old Testament, they had weird things going on back then. We're Christians. We're different. He doesn't divide up the Bible in that way. He, he goes back to the Old Testament, and he says, actually, who are the true sons of Abraham? Well, the true son of Jesus and you get in on his coattails. You're the caboose. He's the engine. You get in only because you're attached to him at the very back of the bus. And so we see here the, the true child of Abraham. Greg, you had your hand up. Well, I, I like the, the promise, of, again, at the very beginning is the blessing to the nations, too. Because even in, you know, you can see how they... Uh, warp that truth that the Israels 
Israelites. And, and yes, there's much that we learn through that picture of their nation and development and fall of the nation. But even from the very beginning, it, you know, when you go back to to Genesis, you know, it was the, the seed of the woman. Now we're seeing it's the seed of Abraham. And you know, later on, there's going to be the king who's, yep. you know, and with all these beautiful pictures that we see, but but it's always for everyone. There there is that inclusion of everyone, all tribes, nations, and tongues. Absolutely, and, absolutely. Um, and that's that was actually my one of my other other oh, application sorry. points. No, you're good. You're good, Greg. It means you're tracking with me. Um, one of the key points of application here is that God is a God for the nations. He's not just a God for uh, a group of people any more than He's a God for a plot of land in the Middle East by itself. He's not simply concerned with the nation state of Israel. It's not a problem for us to be concerned with. It's good for us to be concerned with. That's fine. That's great. But that's not what the Bible is aiming for. It's aiming for something much more magnificent, much more grandiose. And we'll, I'll get into that more. I'm, I'm kind of preloading things here for later on. Um, but I do want to hit the last point. It's a very critical point. I have some time. Uh, not much, but I'll hit it, which is the great promise really is himself. The promise that we love to talk about is the land of the people. That's what gets Christians, a lot of Christians get jazzed about discussing the land, the people. But the real core promise, the real core promise is the very presence of God. The most important promise is where, Ab- where God says to Abraham, I will be with you. I will be your God. I, I, I. This is repeated over and over again. I'm going to mention in machine gun quickness a few texts. You can jot them down hurriedly. I'll mention them again. Don't worry. But we see it in Genesis 17, verse 8. I will be their God, your offspring God, Abraham. Exodus 6, 7. I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, God says to Moses. Exodus 20, verse 2, 10 commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of slavery. Deuteronomy 29, 13, covenant in Moab, renewed. God establishes his people that he may be your God as he promised to you, as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. 2 Samuel 7, 14, David, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Jeremiah 7, 23, obey my voice. I will be your God. You shall be my people. It's repeated again in Ezekiel 36 and then Revelation 21, verse 7. Revelation 21, verse 7, the very end of of the Bible proves this is the beating promise, the beating heart of Scripture. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What is the great promise of the covenant of grace? What's the great promise of a Christian life? The great promise is enjoying the presence of God. It's enjoying the presence of God. Now, I said at the very outset that, that <clears throat> this one covenant of grace is given different administrations. And the administration we have here, I'll close with this, the administration we have in the covenant with Abraham is given a sign, a sign that demonstrates two things. It's a sign of circumcision. A sign of circumcision. There's a lot we can say here. But Paul, in Romans 4.11, makes a very crucial point about circumcision. 
Paul in Romans 4.11 makes this point. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Circumcision is a sign and seal to Abraham, not of his faith. It is a sign and seal to Abraham of the righteousness that comes by faith. The point is that this sign from the very beginning is not primarily about physical things. It's not primarily a physical marker, but it is pointing to a spiritual reality. The second thing, of course, is that it's bloody. It involves cutting off as God passed through the cut-off pieces of the animals. There's a lot of blood with Abraham because they're part of the Old Covenant. And yet, this is an external sign. It is the cutting off a part of the body. It does not mean that your spiritual, your heart has the reality. And God commanded this sign with all of its spiritual importance to be applied to eight-day-old infants who could not yet, sons only, who could not yet understand it in themselves. That's weird. Why is this God's admin work? Why is this the way that God sets up this covenant with Abraham? I'll give you one reason. There are many. I'll give you one as we conclude. It was possible. It still is possible. It was possible. It still is possible to be connected externally to the covenant without personally owning all the internal realities. It is possible to receive the external sign without possessing personally yourself the realities. That's why Paul says in Romans 9, 6 to 8, he says there are children of Abraham, well, who are not really children of Abraham. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. It is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. That's Romans 9, 8. The point, friends, and that's not really a point about Israelites. That's not really a point about Jews today. Yeah, it is, but it's not simply a point about Jews. It's a point about us. It's a point about God's people today because it's the same God and the same covenant and the same promise and the same reality and the same, well, a different sign, but the same expectation that if you are marked out visibly, externally, as a member of Christ's body, you, you need that personal ownership which we call faith. Repentance, you know that personal ownership of the promises. So it's a sober warning that blood will be shed. Somebody's blood will be shed. Is it going to be Christ by faith or yours at the last judgment? That's the question. Sober and yet ultimately beautiful because Christ is that truth of Abraham in whom we all can be joined together. Martin, maybe I could ask you to close us as we head towards the donuts downstairs. Father, we praise you that God's grace, God has given us faith in Christ that we might be your covenant children. Father, we thank you that you have done everything 
necessary for that. Just uh, thank you that we can gather this morning to, to uh, honor you and to praise your name. Father, I pray that you would bless our, our time of fellowship now and, and then after that as we come to, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.